Student loans got you down? Well, you're not alone. According to the Federal Reserve, collectively, U.S. student loan borrowers owe a total of $1.7 trillion in student loan debt. On today's episode, I talk to Naveed Iqbal of Dollar, and they have three ways for you to go from student loan nightmare to zero debt. Enjoy. Naveed, good to have you, man. Listen, I think your story is absolutely fascinating. This show is all about you and about Dollar and the work that you're doing. So when we met about a year ago, you were just starting to build your company. Share your background story with us and the company that you were building then versus kind of where it is today. Yeah, sure. So it uh, it really starts when I was much, much younger. My dad is, a, is an entrepreneur. And, you know, I, I watched him go from a car mechanic to a salesman at a car dealership to owning his own dealership. And it was really interesting because for him, it was always about how many people he could help, right? It was always about, it was never about making money. It was how many lives he could touch. He was selling cars and tractors and stuff in rural Africa. I grew up in uh, in Eastern Africa. And uh, so, you know, that always stuck with me that if you want to, if you want to do something, it has to be to help people, you know, and if you make money, that's great. So starting there, uh, as I grew up, you know, I, I love mathematics and physics. So that's what I wanted to do for myself selfishly is to get a PhD in mathematics. That's all I wanted in my life. So, so I went out and I did that. And it took me forever. It was such a very, you know, fulfilling, uh, fulfilling thing to do. And I was fortunate that in between my degrees, I went and I worked, you know, at different places, getting different types of experience. So a few months before I started um, what, was, what was then known as Notre Rudin, uh, named after two of my favorite mathematicians, we started a student loan repayment platform. I had an opportunity to sit down and think, okay, you know, what do I want to do with my life? How do I want to help people? And, you know, what am I good at? Like, wh- why would anybody want help from me? So the list is pretty small. It's mathematics. I love mathematics. Finance. I'm very, very interested in finance and, you know, quite passionate about it. And people. Of course, people, right? Like, you, there is somebody at the end of, of any transaction. It's a, it's a human being. You know, so I was sitting and I was thinking and I was, my wife was sitting next to me. She was having a war, like basically a fight with her laptop. I was like, what's going on? It turns out she was trying to pay her student loans. So, you know, I, I, I looked at her and something just magically went off in my brain. I was like, holy, wow, this is exactly the area that I need to be in because of a missing component, education. I'm equally passionate about education. So, uh, you know, I called up my best friends and I said, hey, Let's do something. Let's explore this area because, you know, ideas are great, but there has to be room in the market. There has to be the opportunity to help people. And so we spent, you know, a good few months really looking at the market and analyzing the competitive landscape. And we realized that there was room for us. What we're offering is a very, very unique proposition in that we find more money for people's student loan payments. Right? That's why we exist. And, you know, during the course of that time, we've had several people in our community who joined from, you know, day one. The first day we launched, we got some members on the on the site that were not friends and family, and they've stuck with us throughout. And they are really the reason why we changed our name, because we were having a product call one day with one of our users. And she she had saved a link on her mobile phone because she couldn't remember how to type in the name. And I felt horrible. I was like, oh my gosh, this is the person I'm trying to help. And I've just made her life harder. How is that a good thing? So we went back to the drawing board and we, you know, we spent a good amount of time thinking uh, of, of a new name. We got some community participation. And so today we are called Dollar. Yes, like, uh, like money, uh, because that's what we do. Listen, I love it. It's simple and it's, it's memorable, right? Everybody knows Dollar. 
And in this context, it's not a dollar paid, right? In some ways, yes, it's not paid out of your pocket. It's finding creative ways to help people pay their student loans. But two things that you said, because a lot of the, through our customer delivery, we're understanding that a lot of folks who listen to this show are building a business for the first time, whether it's a traditional startup or a small business. There's something that you said there that I have a very bad habit of not doing. You said at the outset, you took a couple of months to study the market. A lot of first-time founders get an idea and don't take the time to validate it or to research the market. Why did you invest that time early on to understand your market? You can't help people if it's not something they need help with. I mean, that's fundamentally, that's that's at the root of the problem. Is If I want to help somebody, it has to be something that they need help with. And, you know, it, you can approach this in creative ways, right? So people often, you know, they quote Henry Ford saying, you know, if, if I asked people what they wanted, they would say faster horses. I think that's really misunderstood. It's about asking the right questions, right? So you don't want to ask somebody, what do you want? Because you're putting so much, you're putting so much work on them, right? Like you sit down, think about it. I don't understand. You have to ask them questions that help you understand the pain. And so that's what we did for those two, those two months, right? We, we, we sought to understand the pain. We had identified an area we thought there was a pain in. So we had several interviews with folks to see, you know, maybe they already had a solution that we, we weren't familiar with. And, you know, and that's where, that's really been the whole, the whole process these last several months is that's, that we keep doing that every, every couple of months. We'll go build something, go back, see if it addresses the situation, see if it's caused more pain uh, than, than we had intended it to. And, uh, and just, you know, get better. So, you know, I'll tell you something. We've been having some, some interesting conversations. We're human beings, right? Human beings get attached to stuff. So when you build something and you spend like nights and weekends and, uh, you know, hours, blood, sweat, tears, you're not sleeping. That's what a startup is, right? Like it's the reality of, of being on the ground. You can get attached to the stuff you build. And that is so dangerous. I was just speaking with, with I had a motivational <laughs> meeting with some of my co-founders. We should rebuild everything from scratch every single month. That's what we are going to do until we get it right. And that's what we have been doing, right? But there is, you know, we have to address that emotional aspect of things as well. And so just making sure that everybody's on the same page about that. Like we're not getting attached to the solution. We're getting attached to the problem. The better we understand the problem, the happier the people we're helping are, the happier everybody is. All right, great. And, and so that, you know, in my conversation with Mike, again, that empathy, right? What, what it helps you develop over time for your customer is real empathy. You stop seeing them as just a number because you get close enough to their problems to really experience it yourself. Either you're having the problem yourself and you're building a problem that that, that solves a problem that you have or in your case that your wife has. But when you go to a broader market, you have to develop a gut level, you know, understanding where you can feel the problem viscerally. So, and that's what I'm experiencing in my work, kind of trying to understand what is that visceral pain that a first time founder might be experiencing, right? Going on this winding road that's going to keep them up at night. And and how do we provide content and community that really helps them solve that problem? So right in line with kind of where my thinking is right now. And let's talk about the value proposition. Your one-liner, two-liner elevator pitch for dollar. What's the problem and what's the solution? We accelerate the members of our community to zero student debt with their money, their employer's money, and money from the apps they use. 
Okay, say that one more time because that was really quick because I have some follow-up questions. Sure. So we accelerate the members of our community to zero student debt with their money, money from their employers, and money from the apps they use. Okay, wonderful. So student loan debt we know is a problem. I have student loan debt. I'm sure the people who are watching us on live, some of them have student loan debt. And people who will watch this live into perpetuity because there's no real solution for the student loan debt issue will very likely have student loan debt. So give us a picture of student loan debt in America and what does it mean for our society to have student loan debt as such a big issue? This is such a wonderful question, Elio, and I'm always hesitant to start speaking about it because we could be here for days. But uh, let, let, let's recap, right? There's $1.7 trillion in outstanding student, student debt out today. There are over, over 45 million Americans who owe somebody money because they went to school. So that's how a lot of people pose the problem. There are a lot of positives to this, though. Five generations of Americans have had the opportunity to go to school because of student debt because of student loans, federal student aid. That's a big deal. That's open doors, that's narrowed the opportunity and wealth gaps that people of color or you know, people who are, who are not typically have access to those kinds of opportunities to have, right? So, so there are these, these opposing facts. What, what has gone wrong with it? A lot of things have gone wrong with it. For one, there is an asymmetry be- between the cost of education and how society rewards it. The cost of education has continued to go up about 180% over the last 30 years, roughly, and early career wages have not kept up. It's about you know, 3% in, in increase in early career wages, more or less what somebody might say is inflation, right? There's a huge gap there. So clearly there are some issues with incentives from the borrower side, from the college side. And you know, these are well-documented. We've written a white paper about it. I'm happy to share it. You know, that really goes into in depth. It's the this history of student or federal aid is fascinating. It is, it is so interesting. And you know, the more I, I read into it, you, you realize that the people who set off to do this thing had the right intention. Along the way, things changed. People took advantage of, uh, of certain flexibility in, in these rules and laws. People were motivated in the wrong way. So lenders were, were motivated to lower the barrier to, to, to giving people money, whereas really the, the emphasis should have been on should this person be going to college? Because that's a huge deal, right? You're going to leave. You're going to leave here in 100, with $120,000 worth of worth of debt. That's if you graduate college. If you don't graduate college, then what do you do? That whole proposition goes out the window, right? There's also this whole lie that, and I truly believe this, that not everybody needs to go to college. College is not the only path to success. There's several paths to success. College is one of those. So you know, there's a. I could go on forever, man. I, I Oh, no, no, I, I'll stop I, I there get it. And, I get and, it. And, and this, student loans, and like you said, that the history of federal aid, right, is fascinating. And maybe, again, in service to the audience that we have, one of the obstacles for a lot of people to go into entrepreneurship, to buy a home, to start a family, they're making considerations around how much student loans they have, Right. So it, it's not just a debt in the abstract that just represents a financial burden. It's a debt that really has real-world consequences around how our society functions and whether people are able to participate in a traditional wealth building uh, and, and, and a- engaging in activities that are positive for society as a whole. So 
we need to dig into that and around you and I working to create content to add some context because the founders that come to 614 Startups are looking for that kind of information, right? A real world understanding of why the world looks the way it looks. So I want to engage in a longer conversation around federal aid and how it impacts people. Hopefully we'll have, have a chance to create more content around that later on. But let's talk about the three ways that dollar helps people pay down their student debt. So the goal is zero. Everybody wants to get to zero. There are three ways you do that. The first way is the way that Sally May or other lenders traditionally approach it, which is you pay us with your money. So let's talk about path number one. And what were you finding for members of your community that you're helping them with path number one? Fascinating, fascinating. So most people make a fixed amount of money every year, and most of that money is spoken for. So you could go and shout, and you can tell them, you can do things. At the end of the day, you might just have a negative impact. You might just make them feel bad. Because guess what? This is one of my personal pet peeves with a lot of these personal finance apps, right? Is why are you making people feel bad for stuff they know? Everybody knows you need to have a budget. Everybody knows you need to pay your bills. People know that. They struggle because the money is not there, right? So that's where we start. We're like, how can we help? How can So you, there are additional three layers, right? There is the emotional layer. When I have less debt, I feel emotionally a little bit better about my finances. When my finances are, are, are better, I can do other things, right? So just quickly to, jumping back, to our previous conversation here a little bit, uh, 73% of millennials have paused their lives because of student debt, right? Because of student debt. They're not buying homes. They're not starting families. They're not saving for their futures. 401k participation is awful. So this, all of this information, when you, when you get it and you look at it, you're, people are not stupid. People know that they need to do these things. There's just no money to do it. So that's where we start thinking, how do we find more money to, to help these people meet those goals? Because they want to do it. And, you know, the employer is an obvious choice, right? So, so getting money from where I work makes sense. It, it already exists in some form in terms of a lot of folks do tuition reimbursement. And paying student loans is a, is a form of tuition reimbursement. Hang and on, this hang, is on Naveed, hang on, Naveed. I want, to, I want to keep us on these paths. So path number one is I have this debt. I have fixed amount of money. You beating me over the head about paying my student loans is not helping me. How does dollar help me with that first path? Let's say my employer doesn't offer anything else and maybe we'll just take that off the table for now. How do you guys help me with that first issue? Two of the hardest things that people struggle with when it comes to budgeting or, or other habit dependent things, right? Like is habit formation and consistency. So we help with habit formation and consistency. We move money every single day from the, the accounts of our members to our accounts to their student loan services every single day, micropayments. It makes a huge emotional difference. It helps people feel like they're making a difference. And all of, all of what we do for the person is really structured around that. How can we make little incremental payments beyond the minimum that I owe? So that's, that's really the biggest way we're doing, we're, we're, we're helping folks in that area. Yeah, so it's like the classic heist movie when there's tech involved, right? So the traditional heist is you go into the bank, stick them up, you notice that money's gone. You guys are going in on a psychological heist of the fraction of the penny heist movie is the bank won't miss the fraction of a penny from a million accounts, right? It's kind of that psychological piece of, hey, it's just 25 cents a day, but 25 cents a day still adds up. Is that kind of the approach or the thinking or the psychology behind micropayments? Or what did you guys see in consumer behavior or related reporting or studies that made you develop this as kind of path one for people? 
So uh, absolutely, that's exactly what we're doing. There's a whole discussion we can have around what size of micropayment works best. And, you know, we have made some very intentional choices around there. So 25 cents is not an option. And neither is we don't do any roundups, right? Because there's, there's a lot of misinformation around the impact that you can make with roundups. We want a level of commitment that is noticeable, but not painful. So that's what we structure our, our approach around. You know, any uh, sort of behavioral, behavioral uh, studies you see about taking on big problems, always break it down into smaller pieces, right? You take the biggest rock and you make a, one little chip, and then the next day you make another little chip, and you do that for long enough, you have the, the motivation to do it for long enough, that rock is going to turn into sand. So we are applying the same, the same sort of techniques that you know, have been around for forever, for as long as human beings have been around, uh, you know, using technology and automation to help people break down those big rocks. So I love path number one. Path number one is for me, growing my commitments over time. I love that idea. Let's talk about path number two, because when Noller Rudin was the company as you were building it, one of the people that you talked to very early on was Michelle Mercia over at Book and Street. She loves finance just like you love finance and mathematics. So I'm sure if I was around for that conversation, it would have been extremely fascinating. But she was one of the first people who turned me on to this idea of how can employers actually make an impact in the lives of their employees? Because employers are always looking for ways, or at least they should be looking for ways to improve their employees' lives because happy employees in their personal life make great employees at work. So Path number two is trying to work with employers to help pay down student loan debt. How are you guys approaching that? I love Michelle. She's, she's amazing. She's been such a great, uh, a great champion for us. So, you know, I'm, I'm really glad. I didn't know you two have spoken about it. She's really a big part of what we're doing. So you're absolutely right. The employer has, should participate in that pay down. But the question is why? At the end of the day, you have to create value for everybody involved. The value to the recipient of the contributions from their employer is clear. What is the value to the employer beyond I want to do the right thing? Because the employer struggles with the same issues, right? As an entity, I only have so much money. I need to put it somewhere, right? Most of it is spoken for. How do I, how do I better allocate things? So it's the same problem from a different perspective. SoFi, everybody knows SoFi. They did a study a couple of years ago, and they found some really, really, really interesting data points, right? Very compelling reasons why an employer should do this. 8-9% of people that they surveyed said they would take a job offering student loan repayment assistance over one that didn't. So that's a that's a big number. That's huge, right? Like that's really interesting. And I got really excited about it, but then I turned the page and my mind just like fell out of my body because it was it was it was amazing. 94% of people who are working at a, at a job would stay at that job if they had access to student loan uh, repayment assistance. That's a huge deal. Right? People are always talking about how millennials are job hopping. And it's the truth, right? We're salary seeking. We need more money so that we can pay our loans. We can live our lives because we can't just sit, hold up and not do anything for the rest of our lives. And when you take that big financial burden off the table, guess what? People do what people want to do, which is grow depth. They want to develop depth in their careers. They want to become experts. They want to build relationships with the people that they work with. And so there are two very compelling reasons for an employer to offer student loan repayment assistance in order to attract and retain talent. There's a third one more recently from the government. The government noticed that this was in fact a thing, right? And so when you see the CARES Act, huge deal. This is a pandemic. We're going to try to do some, we're going to try to do right by our people. What was one of the first things they did is that they took off, they, they added student loan repayment assistance as a tax deduction falling under the educational assistance deduction. Fascinating. 
fascinating, right? Like that is such a huge move and it's, it's wonderful. It's really helped us obviously sell uh, and it's really helping employers participate in these kinds of programs, right? And let me, I should add that our tax benefits for the recipient as well. Previously, it would count as salary, right? Or income, now it no longer does because it's going to your student loans, right? So there are benefits for, for everybody involved. So, you know, huge compelling reasons for an employer to want to do this if they have some cash, if they're struggling with attracting and retaining talent, big deal. And I know incentives for employers have to work hand in hand, sometimes with both just a pure value proposition and also government regulation and things being written into the tax code. So it's fascinating to see both of these things kind of converge at the same time. Demand from employees, the ability to retain employees, which is a huge cost, right? So if it costs me $25,000 to replace an employee and I can retain that employee because I offer them a $4,000 benefit, why not just offer them the $4,000? Because I can see the turnover cost is a real tangible expense every single year. So I'm glad for dollar that these things are converging. Now, the final part of it is around purchases, how to leverage purchases to pay down debt. So first, first one is micro habit change with your actual community member working with that community member's employer to help pay down debt. And then now we're looking at the spending side. So talk about path number three. So, you know, we were, we were sitting and we were, we were thinking about other ways we can find money for, for the members of our community. And, you know, SoFi is always doing interesting things, but maybe about a month before they announced that. So SoFi members today can claim their credit rewards to student loan repayment for student loans held by SoFi. And we were thinking around these same ideas around that time. How cool would it be, right? If I can, I, I can go and swipe my credit card, I can go shopping. I have an incentive to do that because of, of these rewards being available for redemption to student loan repayment. And, you know, fortunately, we're not the only ones who think it's a cool idea. We're working with a few folks, uh, some big names, to make this a reality, to make it very, very easy. I spoke to somebody this morning. Uh, he said, his name's Andy, and he said I should give him credit for this, so I will. He said, you could pay your student loans while you sleep, right? So, so that's kind of the motivation there. And, you know, it's not limited just to credit rewards or loyalty rewards or shopping. It's, it's, it's about all the services you use. This is a societal problem. Student debt is a societal problem. It's not the individual alone that suffers. When I'm not buying a house, the person who's selling the house is, is, is have to, has to lower the price or, you know, all kinds of other issues like that. I'm making it simple. So we want... We want services that people use to help participate in paying off this debt. It's an advantage to everybody. And so that's what we're doing. That's wonderful. So we got the three paths, right? We got the value proposition, right? You're going to help community members find ways to get to zero debt using their own money, employer's money, or spending, right? So guys, this is another lesson. <laughs> that value proposition probably didn't occur overnight. You guys probably work very, very hard on that. And I am able to get it with you repeating it only twice, right? First time I said it was too fast. Second time you said it slowly and I can get it and remember it. Another very important thing when it comes to building a company, can you get your value proposition that clear that anybody can understand it after hearing it one at most two times? So let's pivot now to the state or stage of the company. Do you guys still consider yourself very early? Are you looking at maybe bootstrapping to the next level? Um, are you guys going to seek outside investments to try to get to the next level? What is your thinking there as CEO of the company? 
This is such an interesting question. And, you know, if I rewind back to the beginning of the company, I thought that we needed to raise money in order to be, in order to achieve some of the things that we have achieved. It turns out that we didn't. We have managed to do those things completely bootstrapped. I'm extremely proud of the team. They have done a, they've just done amazing things, right? So it's, it's always an interesting question, right? And, you know, I, I'm not on one side or the other to bootstrap or not to bootstrap. It really depends on your circumstance, if you have access to that cash, and how much conviction you have that this is a problem worth solving, because the sacrifices are going to come in either case. So I would still consider us early stage. We are slowly gaining traction, you know, the knock on wood, fingers crossed, things are looking good. A lot of things are moving the right direction. And I hope that, you know, later this year, I can say that we are starting to feel the burn of product market fit. That's my, that's my, that's my dream, right? Like by hopefully later this year, that, that can be true. We are not there yet. So when it comes to sustaining the business, we are revenue positive. We have been, so this is the, I think last month was our first month revenue positive. So that's a huge deal for us. And we have a path to continue to be revenue positive for the next 12 months. So that's very exciting. Right? And you're absolutely right. There's a lot of work that went into that. It didn't just happen. And so not only... You know, the value proposition is very important. But it's a very small part of that communication. We have to sell to employers. We have to sell to services that people use. All of those people have different problems. They have different pains. And they understand the solution in different ways. So iterating on how we do that has been really interesting. I always, you know, I love it because I look at our collateral today and I love it. I'm like, man, we've done such a good job. And I did that three months ago. And I look at my collateral from three months ago and I'm like, what an atrocity. This is embarrassing. <laughs> You know, and I hope to continue to do that every three months, look back and say, that was embarrassing, this is better. That's probably the most important thing about surviving is conviction and making sure that you're learning what people are saying. If somebody is saying that they want something, then you should listen to what they're saying. All right. Now, in order to be able to accomplish what you're doing, which is this perpetual iteration, I'd like to know about the makeup of your team. Are you actually the one building product? Because like you said, you're willing to tear it down and rebuild it. So you must have a team with you, even though you're early stage, that has the competency and they also believe in the company, right? To be able to tear it down and rebuild it and tear it down and rebuild it and make the pivots that you've had to make. Tell me about the makeup of your team right now. You know, I sometimes have to pinch myself. I'm so fortunate. I have some of like the best co-founders in the world, I think. We have two people who are so talented. They're gifted, in fact, I would say. They're both in technology. They build most of what we have out there today. I do most of the product, uh, you know, and we collaborate very closely on, on how that comes out. And uh, this is why we, we can agree that something needs to be burnt down and rebuilt because we speak about it together and understand those pains, right? It's always about the, the person who's using it. This person's having a bad time. Are we putting ourselves more important than them? Yes. Okay, we have to fix that. And that's continuously the process. So there's two, there's two really gifted people on the, on, the, on the technology team who are doing wonderful things. I have a co-founder who is an MBA and is doing fantastic things for us in terms of business development and sales. Everybody's learning and everybody's getting better. And, you know, that's really all I can ask for is growth. Every single day, people learn new things. And then in turn, they can teach me those things and we all get better. All right. Now I'm going to get all in your business. All right. Because a lot of first time founders are listening to this. How do you attract people that you quote unquote describe as gifted, right? To be able to work on this project uh, when you, you might not have the money to pay them as a very early stage company for the true value that they're bringing, right? Whereas if you were able to raise the money and pay them a salary, et cetera, 
How do you attract people like that when you don't have the money to maybe pay them what they might be able to, to go to a large corporation and get? And then what does that look like for a first time founder when you're selling the dream to people to join you, join your team, be a part of building this company? This is a very hard question. And I think everybody has their own unique approach to it. But for me, there was three things, right? There was three components. One was conviction, two was honesty, and three is transparency. So conviction, you know, I really, like, I 100% believe that this is the thing that I want to do with my life. And therefore, there is enough value in it for somebody else to join me on this journey. So I'm 100%, I believe that at my core. Two, I have to be honest with myself because pivots happen. Sometimes people, you're more romantic about your idea than people than people are, right? So you have to be, of course, so, again, this is for me. I have to be very honest with myself and make sure that I'm not falling too much in love with the idea. Conviction is very different from falling in love with the idea, right? Are we executing properly? And then finally is transparency. You have to be, you know, I found that being open about what is and not painting a rosy picture or focusing too much on oh, in five years, we'll look like this. No, 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 I don't. It's, it's you know, about transparency to make sure that people understand that this is not a rosy picture. A lot of it is going to be very boring. A lot of rebuilding stuff is extremely boring. It's not flashy cars or flashy news, you know, nothing like that. Most of it is very mundane work. And you just have to keep doing it, having the strength to do that. So when I had out my meeting, my very first meeting with my co-founders, the first thing on that slide deck was about what my job would be. And the first thing about my job is to bring the magic and so I make sure that I put a lot of thought into making sure that I understand how people are feeling, attachments to the work that they've done, and recognize that because, you know, we are human beings, we're going to make mistakes. So that's really my framework, right? It's conviction, honesty, and transparency. And um, very recently, it's, it's still under wraps a little bit, but we have attracted somebody to the team who I still am I'm in disbelief about, you know, because this is a person at the peak of their career doing some of the best work in the world. And they're coming to work at Dollar, right? Like, because they believe, because they believe in the conviction, the honesty, and the and the transparency that we that we that we approach our work with. So I, I don't know. I'm just going to keep doing that until uh, until I have to learn and 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 get better at it. But I think it's uh, that's just my approach. Yeah, Navid, I have one more question for you. Before I do that, I got to give another shout out. These broadcasts would not be possible without the Six One Four Startups Partners Program. Of course, you and I both work with Book and Street. If you're a first-time founder out there and you needed some finance and, and accounting help, you can check out Book and Street. If you're a small business and you need some assistance with marketing, brand development, check out Studio MFP. If you love coffee like Navid and I do, and you want that coffee delivered straight to your door, check out Entrepreneur's Brew. And finally, if you want to build a product and you can't attract a team, or you haven't attracted a team like Naveed, you could check out our folks at AWH. They can help you get that product built, rebuilt, done again, three times, four times, until you get it right like you should. All right, Naveed, final question. What's next for you and for Dollar? We are very, very committed to just getting better. And so our values, we have two main values. One of them is always be learning. And the second is it's safe. Speak your thoughts. And so we're going to continue to do that. We learn from our customers every day. We get new customers. We take care of our existing customers. Our goal is to add more sources of cash. So we're actively considering, you know, what are other opportunities that we have to bring more money to the members of our community? How can we get closer to product market fit? You know, what are the actions? These things don't happen by themselves, right? They have to take intention and, and failure. And so what are the actions we can take to ask ourselves better questions? Because we failed. 
that's really what's on the radar for the next few months. All right. Well, Navid, I appreciate your time with me. Hopefully this has been worth it. Very fascinating conversation. I have some ideas running through my mind right now for things that we can do to really help folks around the issue of student loans, which is a real and present problem. But thank you so much, man. I'm going to bid you adieu. You have a wonderful day and stay safe. Thank you so much, Ilya. It's been such a pleasure. Right, folks, there you have it. That was my interview with Naveed Iqbal, CEO of Dollar. Hopefully that conversation was very interesting for you. This is 614 Startups. I am your host, Elio Harmon, and this is the number one podcast. If you are thinking about starting a startup, if you're a first-time founder, or if you just started a small business and you're starting to struggle a little bit and you're looking for a place where you can find content that's going to help you achieve your goals. I went through my customer journey last night and I've just begun the problem. And I think this is an area that we can really serve in. And here's why. I am in your shoes. I am building a company for the first time. And I jumped in this thing, which is my tendency, and launched. But now I'm going back and doing the homework, right? Now, there's no guarantee of success and there is no path that is perfect. Everybody's journey looks different. But what I'm now integrating after interviewing over 50 founders at this point is startup thinking in building my company. Going back to the very beginning, what is the problem that you're looking to solve and who is your ideal customer? So guys, if you fit into that profile, you're just starting a business, right? And you don't have a community, you don't have a co-founder, you don't have advisors around you that can help you answer questions, et cetera, you need to be listening to 614 Startups. If you're a first-time founder and you want to learn from other founders, this is the place for you. If you work in a large company, I have a day job. I have a ton of responsibilities. Outside of that, I'm married and I have a four-year-old and I want to live a life that's fulfilling, both from a career standpoint, building this business, and having time with my family. If you are in that situation, this is the place for you. We're not only going to produce content that we want to produce, right? Because it makes us look cool. It makes us look glamorous. It's actually going to be content that actually helps you along this journey. And so it's very sincere when I say I understand that maybe one of the considerations that you're making is that I can't start this business because I have student loans. What am I going to do with Naveed right now, understanding that my audience has that problem to really educate them about student loans? Does that translate into some mini conference around student loans and first-time founders? We're going to do whatever it takes to make sure this community is a community that you want to be a part of, that's adding a great deal of value, and that you can really engage with and meet with like-minded people. All right, so that's the journey that we're going on, all right? So hopefully you guys will come with me. Hopefully you've enjoyed this show. I want to open it up for Q&A. I know we had some people in here on the live, some people were watching. I Hopefully that... Uh, interview was engaging, entertaining, and educational. So while we wait for questions to come through, I'm going to do a little bit of an end of show, kind of a wrap, right? A quick recap. We are fortunate to be part of Tech Life Live, which is kind of a live show format, much like what we're doing tonight, but it's going to be done under the umbrella of Tech Life Columbus. 
the first show that I'm doing on that channel, which we're going to promote heavy here on 614 Startup, so you don't have to go looking for it, but Tech Life Live, I have a show on there where I'm going to really dig in into what it takes to be an entrepreneur. And the very first show on March the 10th is going to be with Randy Gerber of Gerber Financial. And the subject matter is, do I have what it takes to be an entrepreneur? Ski behind the board. He can relate to this question, right? Because there are times as an entrepreneur, you really want to quit or you really don't know when the next dollar, where the next dollar is going to come from. And you're in the fetal position at three in the morning and it's a real low for you. And then the next day, you fortunately get that call where they give you just enough money to pay the rent on the building for another month. And it feels like you're back and you're Jeff Bezos again. Can you ride that wave, that roller coaster? Is this really for you? And Ryan Frederick, who's the principal over at AWH, wrote a a fascinating book called The Founder's Manual. And he says, really, there are about 3% of the population that are really cut out for that entrepreneurship life long term. Some people might do it. They might try it. They might experiment with it. And that statistic is not meant to discourage you. There's just, there's, there's so much pain, like Naveed was saying, it's not glamorous. It's not glamorous. And so we want to get to behind the scenes of building a company, the trials and tribulations, the blood, sweat and tears that you have to go through and whether or not that's something that you're cut out for. So that kind of content we'll be releasing on Tech Life Live. And we'll be talking about it here. Again, our core audience, our founders who are going through issues like that or asking themselves questions like that. And then also we talk about DeWine's new budget, $50 million to tell Ohio's story. How didn't we get a cut of that? DeWine, if you're listening, hell, call me. All right, $50 million. But the fascinating lesson there is not about the money. It's about my question for myself as a founder. How didn't I position myself that when that conversation was being had, given that we're doing that very thing, we're telling Columbus, Ohio's story to the world about entrepreneurship and we're featuring startup founders. How didn't we get that call? And I know that is on me. And so I have to go back and do some discovery about how we can position ourselves better when the next opportunity comes up or if this opportunity is not passed, how do we participate in that? Again, follow us on social media. You're already here on Instagram. This is the only platform that our technology today would allow us to broadcast on, but we get busy on LinkedIn. We get busy on Facebook. We get busy on YouTube. So follow us on all of those platforms. And if you're really about doing business, we really spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. That's where our core audience is. That's where we're interacting, engaging. So please follow us on LinkedIn. Very, very powerful platform. All right, y'all, that's it for me. I didn't see any questions in the comments, man. This has been 614 Startups Live. And let me give you my one takeaway from my interview with Naveed. And that is take the time to plan. Take the time to plan. Take the time to plan. You don't want a ready fire aim. I'm telling you, it is so painful. And now I'm having to go back through the process to really do all of the homework I needed to do at the beginning. Thank you guys for joining us on another episode. Peace. Peace.